Well, take your Bible tonight. How about that? Take your Bible tonight. Turn to the book of Ephesians as we stand in honor of the eternal word of God. Ephesians. And let's start in chapter one and uh, we'll make our way to chapter six. Not reading the whole <laughs> book, but we'll read a couple verses out of chapter one, three verses out of chapter one. It's been a good series. I've enjoyed um, studying week by week and seeing how that we have been blessed from above for life here below. And he has provided everything that we need. We, don't, we are not to live the Christian life in our own power and strength. He gives us what we need. And so we're going to see that tonight by way of a concluding message. It would have been very easy just to just kind of read the last couple of verses, make a couple of references to it, and then just move on. But I just, uh, just didn't feel like that would do it justice, so we're going to consider this here tonight. First one of Ephesians, Paul began the letter to this dear church where he spent time and loved them and cared about them, and he was concerned about them. And he said this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. That's an important part of the verse the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And then notice this, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Now, that one sentence actually runs all the way through verse number 14, but we'll stop there. It's a big, long run-on sentence, an inspired run-on sentence that cannot be grammatically corrected. Amen. Amen. It's packed. All right, chapter 6. Let's go ahead and turn over there. I just wanted you to notice he mentions grace and peace, and we'll pick up another theme. But really, the book ends where it began. And you'll notice that in verse number 23. Peace, he says in this benediction, this clo these closing remarks. <clears throat> peace be unto, I'm sorry, peace be to the brethren. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the similarities? Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Peace and grace, whereas in chapter one, it was grace and peace. It's an interesting order of these words. Well, God, one more time, I just want to pray that you'd help us. Thank you for this letter to the Ephesians and how it has enriched our lives uh, in this series and then also just in Bible reading. Thank you for allowing us to use it to lead others to Christ as well as to help us understand what it means to be a local assembly. And we pray for your blessings here on this final sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Our uh, series has been entitled The Heavenly Calling of the Local Church. In fact, if you remember, uh, we did quite a bit of preaching in the very beginning of the book about, about what the church is, what, what does church mean, and, and church throughout the Word of God is always a local assembly. There's not a universal church that we're all a part of. The Bible doesn't teach that, and, and Paul made that very clear even when he says at Ephesus, and, 
And so we, we considered that. So tonight, um, I want to try to tie into what I, I would uh, deem to be the overall idea of the book, though I'm not stating that in a, in a one, one statement necessarily, but certainly hits on a major, major theme of the book as we made our journey through that. And I think that you'll see it. And so I've given the title tonight to the message this, Three Essentials for Unity in a Time of Deep Division. Three Essentials for Unity in a Time of Deep Division. And I think you'd agree tonight, we are living in a time, even in the United States of America, of deep division. And so, so were they. Three essentials for unity in a time of deep division. And then just this subtitle, we need to be unified since we have been assembled. We need to be unified since we have been. And uh, that would be a divine passive there that we have been. I'm talking about we, Southwest Baptist Church, that we have been assembled. And who assembled us? Well, the Lord God Almighty is the one that assembles this church. And so we have been assembled. The word church means a called out assembly. And so since we are a called out, called out from where? We're called out from a lost world. Called out assembly. Then we ought to be unified. And I, and I believe largely that we are, but I, I believe also this, that we have not arrived. We've not arrived and we must always, always be cautious and careful because the basic tactic of our enemy, who's a real enemy in Satan, is to divide. And no doubt, <clears throat> no doubt, I'm not saying this just to get amens. I'm not saying this just to make preaching points. I'm saying this because it is true from what we've studied in the book of Ephesians that the enemy would like to divide this church. Since uh, Tyler was, uh, is leaving, we wanted to have a little extra family time. So we, we took just a couple of days, just a quick little trip away. And we, uh, we went last Monday, Tuesday up to Kansas City and, and uh, just had some, you know, some time together, Kansas City barbecue, important things like that. <clears throat> But we, uh, we also, I've, I've heard about, I've had people tell me, uh, if you're ever in that area, you, you've got to go to the World War I Museum. Uh, there's the Liberty Memorial that is there. Absolutely fascinating. One of the best museums I've ever been to. Uh, not that I've been to a bunch of them, but I'm just simply saying it was really well done. And I, and I would confess, uh, maybe like many Americans, that we don't know a whole lot about World War I and and we know maybe a little bit more about World War II and about, you know, Vietnam and other wars and, and things that have taken place. So it could be the proximity of time and things that factor into this. But, but I, I feel like I learned some things or maybe I could even say was reminded of some things. There's a lot of things that they teach you in high school that you just totally forget. But we uh, watched the introductory doc documentary, the, the video that they had, and, and I don't remember the actual line, but it basically said this, the causes that brought about the war were many and complex. Colonization, you think about the world and, and the spread of you know, Great Britain, the British Empire, I mean, reaching, of course, into India and 
Africa and, and then you factor in, you know, other, other countries as France and others that were colonizing and all and spreading all throughout the world. And, and then of course the, uh, the conflict in the Middle East, the Ottoman empire and, and, uh, a country or people known as the Jews wanting to have a country about this time. I mean, there are a lot of things are converging on the world scene at this point in Central and South America, scandal among the elites. And they went through some of that, you know, with regard to some of the royals uh, that were a part of the day, the rise of nationalism, the hunger for, for world power, Germany wanting to be like a world power such as Great Britain and Russia and France and the United States, you know, uh, still growing and, and wanting really in many ways to stay out of the war, a country of immigrants from many of these countries that were involved in that, uh, the great war and, and, um, and then being brought into that, the whole incident, you know, with the German U-boats and the Zimmerman note or telegram and, and, and really being ushered into it. And so, I mean, there's a lot of factors and, and it was a chaotic time. It was a time of prosperity in many, many places. The United States in many ways was prospering and, and, and things were going fairly and relatively uh, well. <clears throat> I, I came across one resource that organized all these things that I'm mentioning to you as to why did the war start. All you got to do is just Google why did World War I start and you're going to get all kinds of things. And some of these factors that I've mentioned here tonight. But I like what one individual did as, as, uh, as they... They use an acronym, um, uh, mania. Well, that kind of captures it. Mania, madness, world madness, mania. And so the letter M, militarism, the buildup of, of military and, and the showcasing of military might and power. Alliances. Coming into this, you had the triple alliance of, of Germany and Austria-Hungary and uh, in Italy at the time. And Italy in World War I went eventually with the Allies. But nonetheless, at this point, that was going on. But then you have the central powers as they became. I'm not trying to do a history lesson here. I'm just trying to say there was a lot that was going on at the time and with Germany and Austria-Hungary and Bulgaria and the Ottoman Empire and, and Turkey, modern-day Turkey and such. But then you had the... Uh, the the triple um, uh, on, on te, uh, help me entente. Thank you. French word. I worked on that before the service, but it didn't help me at that very moment. <laughs> Great Britain and France and Russia. I, I mean, so you, you had, because this country attacked this country. And now this country's brought into that. I'm telling you, it got chaotic, but I, I listened to it and it was rather helpful. And I thought about that mania. Then I thought, you know, if you add one more letter to the end of that acronym, I think actually that's getting to the heart and soul of what was really going on. If you added the letter C to it, representing Christlessness. Because the, uh, the introductory video also referenced this, the, the uh, uh, origin of the species with Charles Darwin and some of the evolutionary thought that was coming in and the survival of the fittest. What many were doing was taking that thought and applying it to world empires and the persecution of the Jewish people and other peoples of the earth. And, and so, so what happened is, as you think about German rationalism and you think about, about the, basically this, the forsaking of the word of God 
the revelation from God in favor of man's reasoning or rational thinking, when you depart from Christ, chaos is the result. And that is true between world powers, and it's also true between people. And what was supposed to be the war that would make the world safe for democracy, as, as President Wilson said, or the war, as many declared it, as the war to end all wars, is really, when you think about it, is really the war that ultimately led to World War II, and as well as many of, much of what took, took place and is taking place in the Middle East and in Vietnam and in Korea and, and other parts of the earth. I mean, really, it all traces back to right here. I don't know that I finished the acronym mania, so some of you would ask about that. I better finish that. Militarism, alliances, nationalism, letter N. I would be imperialism. And then letter A was assassination, of course, with the Archduke uh, Fran Franz Ferdinand. And so all that just catapulting that in. But really at its very root, Christlessness. Why is that? Well, I came across, across this quote, peace rules the day when Christ rules the mind. Peace rules the day when Christ rules the mind. Wouldn't it be safe to say because we understand the word heart and mind are oftentimes synonymous terms. Could we also say this? Peace rules the day when Christ rules the heart. You say, what does all this have to do with the book of Ephesians? And what does all this have to do with what we're thinking about as a church family? And well, when Christ rules, I'm sorry, when peace rules the day, when Christ rules our hearts as a church family. We're living in a time of deep division, folks. I know I don't have to take much time to convince you of that, but I, I think it is part of, of what we are facing as a church and no doubt what we will face as a church as time goes on. And, and, and listen, by the way, I think that we are, by the grace of God, experiencing something in the form of peace and unity as a church. I, I feel like we are a unified church. I mean, I, I, I think others would assent to that, that there's, that there's a wonderful spirit that is here that we did not produce. But it's what God has produced and, and we have responsibility to keep it. I, I'm so grateful to God for that. But we're living in a country that is greatly divided. And what you see in the New Testament oftentimes is what's, what is going on in the churches of the day of the New Testament became a reflection of what was going on in the society around the church. So I, I pray earnestly for Southwest Baptist Church that what's going on in the culture around us does not begin to be reflected in the type of relationship that we have with one another, that we'd be divided. Because obviously we are a country that is experiencing racial tension and racial, racial divisions. But I, I remind you often and I remind you again tonight without any hesitation that there truly is only one race and that is indeed the human race. That God is the creator of all mankind and, and he's a creative God and he made some of uh, various colors and, and shapes and sizes and thank God we don't all look the same. It's a good thing. 
And so we should not allow race to divide us as a church. This is not a white church. This is not a black church. This is not a Hispanic church. This is not, hey, and I realize we all have different cultural backgrounds. Come on, I'm from Kentucky. There are people here from Texas and people here from Oklahoma and people from Missouri and, and people, you know, from other parts of the world. And yet we can have unity. How in the world do you do that? The gospel overcomes racial tension. Moral division. I'm concerned, I'm greatly concerned about about what's coming on the horizon through the Equality Act. If you've studied it, what it will do, it will deepen the divide in our country. And instead of bringing equality, it actually will bring inequality. I just uh, called, um, and maybe as many of you did, Senator Lankford and Inhofe and, and said, you know, please vote against the Equality Act. Now, nobody should be discriminated against. I think we all understand that. But, but here's, here's uh, some of the dangers for young men to have access to a lady's bathroom or locker room. For biological men to compete in women's sports is, is not fair to the ladies that are there. So there, there's a lot of tension in our country. I mean, and there's a lot of confusion in our country. And I got a really nice email from uh, James Lankford's office. And I mean, just a very detailed reasons why I'm voting no against the Equality Act. It was fantastic. I really commend him. I really appreciate it. But, and we're in a divided country and, 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 and we can't compromise on things of morality. But we'll be tested. But here's where it really hits our church, would be in the forms of families divided. Husbands and wives experiencing uh, marital tension. Um, you know what's so tough about marriage? You've got to do it right in the middle of your sanctification. <laughs> you know... If you were fully sanctified, marriage would be just like, right? But we're not. We're not fully sanctified. We're, we're not exactly like Jesus. We're not. I mean, we're, we still struggle with selfishness and pride. Uh, she does. And you do. <laughs> and there can be tension there. How can you have peace? What's an essential to have unity uh, within a marriage? I, I'm concerned about that. Families being divided because ultimately that's affects, that affects the church, doesn't it? And then uh, parents and children. Um, there's a lot of teenagers here tonight. And, and God wants you to have a good relationship with your parents. And there's obviously parents here tonight. God wants you as parents to have a good relationship with your, your teenagers, with your young people and, and college age. And there's grandparents here tonight. And God wants grandparents to have a good relationship with kids and grandkids. And, and good relationships, how? How do you have that? How, well, what, if there's, what if there's some problems there? How do you work through that? We don't, again, the, the reason that, that family life is so challenging is because God calls on us to do this right in the middle of our own sanctification. 
A.W. Tozer said, whenever you see confusion, you can be sure that something is wrong. Disorder in the world implies that something is out of place. Usually at the heart of all disorder, you'll find man in rebellion against God. Began in the Garden of Eden and continues to this very day. I'm concerned about your marriages. I'm concerned about my marriage. I, I want to keep working. By the way, uh, you never arrive in marriage. You never arrived. I just finished listening to a audio book. Uh, what, what did you expect? It's the title of the book. <laughs> That's a good title for a marriage book, isn't it? What did you expect? <laughs> right? About a five hour, six hour listen. I needed it because I haven't arrived in marriage, but I want to grow in marriage. And, and, and my wife has already uh, read it and listened to it. And, and we want to grow. We, we want to we keep going forward. I'm telling you, but, but there are challenges to every marriage. There's challenges to every parent-child relationship. There's challenges even right here within our own church membership. Not only am I concerned as a pastor about, you know, the, the, uh, the family relationships represented here, but also this, that every member of the church here feels like they belong. Every member. Every member. Every person. Um, and everybody in the church getting along. You say that's idealistic. Well, what makes church so hard is we've got to do this in the middle of our sanctification. If we were already in heaven, we'd be getting along just fine. What was it that someone said, you know, to live in, in uh, heaven with brothers and sisters, you know, that will be glory. But to live down here below with sisters and brothers, we know that's a different story. I mean, that, that sometimes is how it can feel, you know. And we haven't even got to the workplace and the strife and bickering that can be there. Um, the church in Ephesus was not immune to these things. They were facing great division. Jews and Gentiles were divided. That's racial tensions. Jews and Gentiles. Jews felt superior to Gentiles, and, uh, but there was a majority of Gentiles in Ephesus. So there was this tension that was Jew and Gentile. I think for me personally, as I got into the book of Ephesians, I think that was the thing that, uh, that I uh, gleaned from maybe the most that I wasn't really prepared for is just how much that tension showed up all along the way. And throughout every chapter virtually of the book. But then the strife evidently that they had between husbands and wives and the hurt feelings between parents and children and the strife in the workplace. And so Paul is dealing with this and saying to them that you can, you can have unity within the church. You don't have to leave the church. You can have unity within the church. I mean, from the very get-go of it, he talks about how that this, would you, just in your mind, we're not going to take the time to build and go throughout the whole book again, but just this, he says, listen, we are all beneficiaries of the same spiritual blessings that come from God. All of us, equally, in salvation, have just as much of the Holy Spirit, just as much of grace, just as much forgiveness as everybody else does. Christ has removed the middle wall of partition in chapter two. Jew and Gentile, it's a mystery, but that's what God designed. I read this morning in, in Numbers chapter 15, how that even, even in the Old Testament, God intended that the strangers, the foreigners would have part with Israel and participate in the same way. And so it's not like a totally new idea that God loves the nations. 
But they were having some struggles there. And, but then you think about chapter four, especially as he talks about endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And, and that is produced by the spirit and the oneness. You know, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all and, and, and all that oneness that is stressed there. And so it's obvious that we're supposed to enjoy unity within the church family. And again, I'm thankful that we do. So maybe this is being preached to be preventative, but it also could be corrective because there could be a family in the church that's had having some problems with another family in the church. And I'm, I'm not preaching this with anybody specifically in mind or an individual in the church that has a problem with another individual in the church. But, and, and so I, I, I don't have knowledge of that and that's not why I'm addressing it. So hopefully this heads some of that off. But in a congregation of this size, it's almost inevitable, but that there would be some of that. And God wants us to be unified. And so when believers, we saw this in chapter number five, that when believers are yielded to the spirit and they're filled with the spirit on a regular basis, you are, you are um, saved and sealed one time, but you must be filled daily. And moment by moment, controlled by the spirit. And when believers yield to the spirit, then here's what happened. Here's what happens. They sing together. They rejoice together. They give thanks together. They submit themselves one to another and then they apply it to the home so that then husbands and wives, in fact, if you define marriage in one word, it would be just this, oneness. That they are one flesh and so they are to be one and so the Spirit of God produces that unity and then between parents and children and servants and masters. And listen to this, we are in the same spiritual battle. We took several Sunday nights to talk about the spiritual battle that we are in and, and we don't fight and we don't war against flesh and blood but we, we uh, fight against spirit, uh, spiritual wickedness in high places by the way with whom we cannot enter into a treaty with. We fight side by side in the battle and, and we are fellow soldiers in this battle working together, praying for missionaries. I'm just telling you, everything about the book really does that. It really does point to the need, the genuine need of genuine of, of unity, genuine unity. Not like the unity like you'd see on a five-year-old soccer field. Never forget the illustration Brother Mark gave. I've shared it here before, but it really does illustrate. You know what the goal is in, in five-year-olds playing soccer? Kick the ball. <laughs> Positions are kind of out the window at age five. And what you have is just a little huddle of little bodies, and then finally the ball pops out, and then the little huddle of people moves over here. And then it kicks the ball and it moves over here, all right? And so sometimes that's how it is even in, in a family's life or in church life. It's just my goal is I want the glory of kicking the ball, right? No, it's supposed to be more like a team, maybe like a basketball team working together. And, and as you have those various positions or, or another type of team that's working together and working in unity, that's how a church is supposed to function. Since we're going to have difficulties and, difficult and differences, what are we supposed to do? James asked the question, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Why are you fighting against your brother? Why are you not getting along with somebody that's in church? He talked about their lusts, their wants, their desires. You're acting like a maniac. How do you deal with the differences? Do you ignore them? Hope they'll go away? I realize there are times the best thing to do is that love covers a multitude of sin and don't deal with everything. I understand that. But there's also a sense in which we've got to deal with things. Separation. 
You say, well, the best way I know how to deal with it is just avoid them. Is that unity? Just avoiding your wife, just kind of coexisting in the house, just like being roommates, is that unity? No. Parents and children, just kind of going to your room, going to your room, staying on your phone, never looking at each other, never talking to each other, is that unity? No. Church member that's never, that hasn't talked to another church member, I realize you're in a larger church. You may not know. Some of you that are on the east side may not know the west siders. I get that. <laughs> right? You don't know the balcony. And then we're all spread out by live stream. I, I understand that. I mean, this, it's a challenge, no doubt. But what I'm saying is, is if there's somebody here that uh, you haven't talked to because you have ought against them or they have ought against you, that's not right. How could you have a right relationship with each other in the church? Paul really hits it right here. He summarizes it. In fact, a fascinating study. I did this uh, in preparation for the message. I just went through and I just kind of casually read the book and I looked for every time the word peace showed up and the times that the word love showed up and the time that the word uh, grace showed up. Peace, love, and grace. In our two verses, that's the three things that show up. Those are the three essentials. The three essentials for unity in this church, peace, love, and peace, love, and grace. That's the three essentials. So it's fascinating. You, you look at that and 22 times it shows up that way. Uh, so you can look at it on your own. Peace, um, oftentimes it says peace with God, peace with each other. Can I say it to you this way? You're not going to experience peace with each other if there's not peace with God. Does this sound familiar? Does it maybe sound a little bit like the morning message? You think, preacher, did you run out of something to preach? You're just going to re-preach what you preached this morning? No, it's just right where we are. I've got to have peace with God to have peace with others. But watch this. If I have peace with God, then I will want to have peace with others. Peace. We could go through all the verses. I'm just going to leave it up to your own independent study there of peace. Paul emphasized peace with God, peace from God. Jesus is our peace. Uh, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then love. Well, of course, love shows up quite often. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. I mean, really, every book, every chapter of the book has love emphasized. Why? Because the, the love of God that has been shown to us is the love from which we draw to show love to one another. To have that kind of love between each other. And then grace. Of course, the grace of God in salvation. But, but also, if you, if you do a study throughout, you'll see the word grace used quite often in this way. God's help. God's enablement in our life. His, his, uh, the only way we can be saved is by grace, but the only way that we can live this, the, the saved life is by grace, God's help. So that's what Paul is emphasizing. Look at again, if you would, at verse 23 and 24. Peace be unto, be to rather, the brethren. Peace be to the brethren. Peace be to the brethren. And then he says, love with faith from God. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ. So, peace. Peace be to the brethren. I say to you tonight, using, borrowing the words of Paul, peace be to the brethren. Peace be to the brethren. 
uh, peace be to the husbands and the wives. Peace. May, may there be peace between you. It, it's, it's a wish. It's a prayer. But, but wait a minute. Um, notice the source. Peace is peril with love. We'll get to that in just a moment. Both peace and love from, what does it say in your Bible? From God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the source of you and I being at peace, the source of that is none other than the infinite God. You say, I don't know if I could ever be at peace with them. Wait a minute, where's your peace come from? You see, all of this is a blessing. So it's a wish and a prayer. You might, it's a wish slash prayer. Which is it? It's a desire on Paul's part. He's saying, I pray you've got peace between you. He has spent six chapters saying, yes, you're a Jew. You got that figured out. Yes, you're a Gentile. You got that figured out. Now, you're in the same church body. Get along. Peace. Peace be to the brethren. Peace be to the brethren. Yeah, but you don't know what he... Peace be to the brethren. Peace be to the brethren. Peace be to the brethren over here. Peace be to the brethren over here. There ought not be anyone in this church family that, that you don't seek to have peace with. Now, I understand, and you understand, that some people have a personality. And you do too. Right? But peace be to the brethren. Peace be between family members. Uh, don't let the past keep you from peace. Don't let the present keep you from peace. Don't let fear of the future. Well, what if they hurt me again? Don't let fear of the future keep you from peace. Peace be to the brethren. In such a time as this, when our nation is so divided, I mean, at all times, it's important for us to, as, as members of, the, of a church body and family to be at peace. But I believe in many ways it's underscored right now that we greatly need to be at peace with one another. You know, when a church gets in trouble is when it's the older folks of the church against the younger folks of the church. And the younger folks of the church against the older folks of the church. Peace be to the elderly and peace be to the younger. Right? Get along. Get along. Yeah, but I want it this. No, wait a minute. What does he want? Get peace from him. Yeah, but they always. Ah. Okay, don't go there. Peace be to the brethren. Some, some, somebody here tonight, I, I'm not trying to make light of it. In fact, I want to try to be a help. There, there's no doubt somebody here that's having a hard time with your parents. Or there's somebody here that's having a hard time with your kids. Or somebody here having a hard time with your spouse. And on and on the list could go. There's probably roommates not having just peaceful days. There's church members that just don't see eye to eye on things. Well, I mean, you're different. Right? different. But, but, but wait a minute. Peace rules the land where Christ rules the heart. Hey, look, we're not Bulgaria and, and Serbia and Germany and Austria and Hungary. We're, we ought not act like that and, and towards one another. Are, are you following my analogy? No, no, we're the people of God, members of this church family, 
there ought to be peace throughout the church family. And there can be because our great source of peace is none other than God himself. Love with faith. Love with faith. Only time that I, that I found that it's said this way. You'll see things like this, like in Philemon. One of my favorite verses uh, is, is in Philemon, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus Christ and towards all saints. Basically, the way that verse is arranged is to communicate this. Philemon, I know because of the way that you have loved the saints. I mean, like genuinely love the saints that your faith in Jesus has produced love for the saints and they have been refreshed by you, my dear brother. Love. You know, I, I am glad that there's, there, there is a lot of love at Southwest Baptist Church. How do you know that? Well, just think about all the picking on each other that goes on here. That means there's a lot of love here, right? No, I mean, there, there's real love here. I, I see members loving one another, caring for one another all the time. And that's what Paul was saying to Philemon. Philemon, I know that you love the saints. You love them so much that you do something about it. You love them so much that you help them. You love them so much that you invite them in the home. You love the saints, uh, Philemon. And I know that it is your faith in Jesus that has produced your love for the saints because you can't say that you love God and not love the brethren. If you love God, you love the brethren, right? Guess who's a brother? Paul was setting him up. Onesimus, the one who had wronged you, now is saved and he wants to come back. And I know that you're going to need to extend the boundaries of your love. Because by the way, hey, by the, by the way, we all have boundaries to our love. I love people that are a lot like me, but I don't like people that have hurt me. Right? I, don't, I, I have a hard time with people that have a different personality than what I have. But there are no boundaries to God's love. Aren't you glad about that? There's no boundaries to God's love. And it's not like, well, you love these people that haven't messed up. No, you love people that have messed up. And you love people that are from a different nationality. And you love people that are from a different culture. And you love people that, that, uh, that are here as immigrants. And you love people that, are, that, are, that had been on drugs. And you love people that are just getting out of alcohol. And you love people. You just love people. You love people. We love one another. And that's how you have unity within a church. I love it. There's not a lot of unity out there. But there ought to be unity and love right here. People of the world can be pretty short with each other. But we ought not be short with each other. People of the world can be pretty uh, judgmental. We ought to be discerning. But we ought not be judgmental towards one another. And critical of each other. Love with faith. Love with faith. That's interesting. Love with faith. So I, I love someone. I love members of the church here. You, you're to love the members of the church here with faith. What does that mean? Well, faith in God, that God's working in their life just like he's working in your life and show love to them. It's essential to unity. Peace be to the brethren. Love with faith. And then he, then he concludes the letter the same way he started it. Grace. Grace be, well, let's look at it here. Let me make sure I'm saying it right. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ. What a verse. Notice this, in sincerity. Grace. Grace. God's help. He says, uh, church, listen. For you to have the unity that God wants you to have, it's going to take the grace of God. It's going to take God's help. 
Grace be with all them that love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. That word insincerity, in, in it means without corruption. The quality of the love ought to be sincere. It ought not be hypocritical. It ought to be sincere love. Now, now remember who he's writing to here. It's the, the church of Ephesus. The very first church that Jesus addressed in the book of Revelation was the church of Ephesus. And he commended them because they were, they were a working church. They were serving, doctrinally sound, and um, separated. You read it. Revelation 2. Doctrinally sound, fervent in serving, busy, busy serving. And they were separated from the world. But he said, I have somewhat against thee. Why? You've left your first love. Grace be to all those that love the Lord in sincerity. Um, it, it does not matter how doctrinally sound a church is, how separated a church is, how busy serving the Lord a church may be, if that church has stopped loving Jesus as the source of their doctrinal soundness, their service, and their separation. Because if, and, and I think this is where Southwest Baptist Church can be in such danger, don't you? Because we put a premium on doctrinal soundness. And we're busy serving. And we're separated. But if we're doing that without loving Jesus, it's only a matter of time that you lose your doctrinal soundness. You begin to slack off on being separated and you stop serving the Lord. But grace be to all them. Grace be to all of you. All of you, all of you. Grace be to all of you that love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And that makes a unified church that's been assembled by God. A.W. Tozer said this as well, and I'll conclude with this. Pianos are not tuned by being tuned to another piano. But a thousand pianos, listen to this, a thousand pianos, I think that's the number he mentioned. I may be a little off on my number. Ministerially speaking, a thousand pianos right, are in tune with each other if they each are in tune with the tuning instrument. There's a standard. If that piano's out of tune, and that piano's out of tune, and we tune that piano by that piano, we still have two pianos that are out of tune. But if we take that piano to another room even, and we tune it by the tuning instrument, and we tune that one by the same instrument, then they both are in tune with one another because they're in tune with that instrument. Here's what I'm saying tonight. How are we as a church with so much diversity supposed to be unified? What should we do? Well, let's focus on unity. And I find out what would make us unified and then we focus on that and then we're unified. No, actually that won't work because that would be me tuning us by us. Here's a solution. 
we all get in tune with the Lord through his word, then I'm in tune with you and you're in tune with me. And I'm in tune with you and you're in tune with me and you're in tune with her and him and you're in tune with that family and that family's in tune with, I mean, even East Siders get along with West Siders. Hey, why? Because we're in tune by one instrument that unifies us. It still works. It still works. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you for the unity at Southwest. And it's not because we're Southwest, but it's because of what our Lord has done in our lives. And so I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as a church with a heavenly calling on our local church here to be in tune with you. And Lord, where there may be strife between husband and wife, I pray that there'd be some tuning going on with you and then they'd be in tune with one another. And the same would apply to parent and children. God, and then between members. I pray there'd be a good tuning going on here, dear God, that comes from you. Please, dear Heavenly Father, I pray, I imagine there'd be some that are struggling even spiritually. And they're out of tune. I pray that you would help them tonight. Pray that there would be peace and love with faith and the, the grace of, that comes from you might be upon their life, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together here tonight. Trust and obey, page 451.